Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball. From growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. America's two great pastimes collide on this podcast. It is baseball and making money from the dog days of summer through the October Classic. Greg Faces Peterson's going to be free swinging at the betting board as he tries to hit a grand slam for your bankroll. Now here is GP. MLB Overtime Betting, Greg Peterson broadcasting from the Azunia Tequila Studios out here in beautiful Las Vegas. We've got a great show for you as Scott Seidenberg of NBC Sports Radio and the Believe Podcast Network is going to be joining me in the second segment of the show. And in the final segment, I'm going to give you a side and total on every game on the MLB Betting Board as we touch them all. I just recently got back from the birthday party of one Brent Musburger, so I've had quite a few to drink, so I'm going to keep it a little bit short and sweet in this first segment. We're going to be going through some of the results of yesterday. Going to be hitting some questions more on Sunday, just really don't have the time for tonight. My apologies, but for those of you guys that tweeted in questions, I'll be hitting those on Sunday. But let's take a look back at yesterday's results. What happened yesterday? Let's go around the bases and find out. We saw overs go 13. 13 and 1 on Saturday. Absolutely unbelievable. It started out with the Minnesota Twins who were able to take down the New York Yankees by a count of 7 to 3. And this one, the Minnesota Twins just got a whole bunch of offense and a good pitching performance by Jake Odorizzi. Goes six strong innings, winds up giving up no runs. The bullpen from there winds up giving up three innings. The J.A. Happ just continues to be a guy that you really cannot back. He winds up going 5.2 innings. He gives up four runs, all of which were earned 
Not a very good showing for the New York Yankees, though they did get the 11th home run of the year from Gary Sanchez. But for the Minnesota Twins, Nelson Cruz went yard. His 7th home run of the year, Mitch Garver, his 6th of the campaign. The Minnesota Twins bullpen continues to not necessarily be great, but this team as a whole now has 20 wins. Very impressive. And the other team in the American League that wound up having 20 wins going into Saturday's play actually wound up losing in a little bit of a stunner as the Tampa Bay Rays wind up getting shut out by the Baltimore Orioles by a count of 3-0. to zero. Who in the world saw Dylan Bundy going 7.1 innings and giving up only three hits? This is one that you just could not predict as Dwight Smith Jr. wound up providing his sixth home run of the year for the Baltimore Orioles. Tampa Bay Rays in this game, just three hits on the day and you're and Uni Chorinos, who wound up pitching for the Tampa Bay Rays game to start, wasn't necessarily bad, wasn't necessarily great. 7.1 innings, gave up three runs, all of which were earned. On a typical day, this would get the job done for the Tampa Bay Rays, but the fact that they were able to score zero runs, a little bit of a shocker. The Chicago Cubs get a just absolutely awful outing out of Yu Darvish, but yet they're able to win the game by a count of 6-5. of five. Of all guys, the backup catcher, Taylor Davis, wound up providing the offense for the Chicago Cubs. He winds up hitting a grand slam in the fourth inning off of Michael Walker to be able to tie up the game 5-5. Five to five. And then Javi Baez in the eighth inning provides his 11th home run of the year to be able to win the game. Still can't bet on you, Darvish, though. Four innings pitch, he gives up five runs, all of which were earned, including of which was an RBI single by Michael Walker, the pitcher who was very bad himself. He gave up five runs, four of which were earned. He now has a 5-1-7 ERA. And the bullpen from there looked very good as Gant and Andrew Miller were able to provide some scoreless innings for the St. Louis Cardinals. But John Breba wound up giving up that go-ahead home run to Javi Baez. The Cubs continue to be a hot team, 18-12. and 12. Keep in mind, this is a team that started out 1-7, and seven, if I remember correctly, to start out the year. So, very big turnaround there. How about the Kansas City Royals? 15-3 over the Detroit Tigers. It was Andrew Bailey Day, which means that you typically take the over and the run line of the other side. But the Kansas City Royals wound up being the team that you had to have the run line on as... Homer Bailey wound up giving up two runs in six innings. He looked very solid there. The Detroit Tigers were able to get a home run as that was provided by Ronnie Rodriguez. That was in the eighth inning. And then Jose Candelario hit the home run off of Bailey. That was his third of the year. But Tyson Ross, 1.1 innings, gives up five runs, all of which were earned. And then from there, the bullpen was not good. Drew Verhagen gives up six runs in relief. He now is a 15 ERA Fernandez has an 18 ERA. Zach Rankin has a 15.75 ERA. You just can't trust in this Detroit Tigers bullpen. Meanwhile, the Kansas City Royals, they were able to supply a lot of offense as Alex Gordon did his sixth finger of the year. Whit Merrifield his fifth as the Kansas City Royals as a team. 19 hits. Absolutely stunning. Something else that was absolutely stunning. How about the offense of the Houston Astros? They just completely dismantle the LA Angels by a count of 14 to 2. The Angels winds up getting a completely awful outing out of Trevor Cahill. Gives up six runs in 3.1 innings. And then from there, Chris Stratton, another failed starter. 
Eight runs given up in four innings. Just absolutely awful from the Angels. I will say, Albert Pujols wound up hitting his fifth home run of the year. And for the Houston Astros, you got to continue to bet on Wade Miley. Six innings pitch, he gives up two runs, both of which weren't, including that dinger to Mr. Pujols. But all in all, this team looks very solid as they were playing home run derby. Michael Brantley, his sixth home run of the year. George Springer, his seventh home run of the year. Alex Bregman, his eighth. And then you also had Yuri Gurriel going deep for his second dinger of the year. This is a Houston Astros team that is very hit or miss with the bats. But when they're on, they are on. Speaking of a couple teams that were off with their bats, in 17 innings of work, one of the unders that came in the in on Saturday was the New York Mets versus the Milwaukee Brewers. The Brewers wind up getting a 4-3 win. Our good buddy Chris Flexen wound up giving up the two runs in the bottom of the 18th inning to lose this game as the Milwaukee Brewers we're able to get a little bit of offense out of Ryan Braun. He had two RBI. He seems to be really coming around for this team as he had two doubles in the game. Wound up getting six hits and eight at-bats. This is a guy that a couple days ago was hitting below the Mendoza line. He's now hitting 263. And for the Milwaukee Brewers, Gio Gonzalez looked good in this game. He gave up one run in 5.1 innings. I still don't know if I necessarily trust him, but all in all, the Brewers' bullpen, absolutely terrific as they give up one run in nearly 13 innings of relief. And the Mets bullpen seems to be coming around as well. As the starter, Zach Wheeler, goes seven innings. He winds up getting six punch-outs, giving up two runs. And they only gave up two runs in a little bit over 10 innings of relief. That was Chris Flexen that came in. Obviously, not an ideal situation there. But we are noticing that the bats are cooling off. They did have a home run for Pete Alonso in the ninth inning to be able to tie up this game and send it to extra innings, and it was a marathon from there. But all in all, a very bad showing from the Mets' bats and a good showing from the Milwaukee Brewers' bullpen. Speaking of teams that had the bats going, the Seattle Mariners got four solo home runs, but in the end, it was the Cleveland Indians being able to pull out this game by a count of five to four. The difference maker for the Cleveland Indians was in the bottom of the eighth inning, a... Carlos Santana home run. That was his sixth home run of the year. And then also providing some offense was Francisco Lindor, his fourth. Carlos Carrasco continues to be a starter that I cannot trust. 7.2 innings. He winds up giving up four home runs, four earned runs as the home runs for the Seattle Mariners came from Edwin Encarnacion, his ninth. Tim Beckham, his seventh. Daniel Vogelbach, his ninth. And then Moore hit his second dinger of the year. But Mike Leake Continues to be a pitcher that you don't know what to make of him as a starter. Six innings pitch, he gives up three runs off, which was earned. He's not a he's not a great starter, but at the same time, he's not very terrible. But at the same time, the Seattle Mariners bullpen not necessarily getting the job done. While the Cleveland Indians have some terrific relief pitching, the Atlanta Braves got a grand slam out of Ozzy Albies as they were able to take down the Miami Marlins by a count of nine to two. Michael Soroka, another very good start for the Atlanta Braves. He continues to be able to get the job done as he is now three and one as a starter. And the Miami Marlins just continue to have atrocious offense. Soroka seven innings pitch, he gives up two runs, but none of which were earned as those runs came in on errors by Josh Donaldson and Dansby Swanson. Ozzy Albies wound up being able to get his seventh home run of the year. And Trevor Richards, he didn't give up any runs in his start, but he only went five, 4.1 innings and that left it on a Miami Marlins bullpen that has been below average to try to close out the game. And they wound up giving up nine runs of 4.2 innings. Not necessarily ideal there. So the Atlanta Braves continue to get their offense going. The Miami Marlins continue to be poor with their bullpen. The Pittsburgh Pirates get a win of 6-4 over the Oakland A's. This is a game in which... It saw a little bit more offense than you expected as the Pittsburgh Pirates 
did not get the start that they expected out of Trevor Williams. He gives up four runs in six innings of work, but they did wind up getting two runs out of Josh Bell, his seventh and eighth of the year. That was absolutely huge for this team as he wound up driving in three runs. And then for the Oakland A's, they did have a nice showing out of a bunch of different guys. Kendrys Morales wound up having a triple for his sixth RBI of the year. He's really been struggling. And Chris Davis now has 26 RBI, but Chris Bassett, by far his worst outing of the year. Five innings pitch, he winds up giving up three runs, all of which were earned. And J.B. Wendelkirk has been struggling for a bullpen that has not been what it was last year. He gives up three runs, all of which were earned. Speaking of teams that were struggling with their pitching in general, the Washington Nationals and the Philadelphia Phillies, the Nationals wind up pulling off a 10-8 win despite being very badly banged up. Kurt Suzuki hits its fourth home run of the year. Hunter D- Brian Dozier hits his fifth dinger of the year. And Victor Robles, his sixth as Patrick Corbin, winds up giving up three runs in six innings of relief. And then from there, the Washington Nationals bullpen that I've noted has been so bad all year long. They wind up giving up five runs, all of which were given up by Joe Ross. He now has a 12-27 ERA, but the Philadelphia Phillies, Somehow, someway, wound up being a little bit worse. Jake Arrieta didn't necessarily give the best start, but at the same time, it wasn't terrible. Six innings, he give up, gives up three runs, two of which were earned. He now has a 340 ERA, but Pat Neshek winds up allowing two runs, and the man that took the loss for the Philadelphia Phillies was Adam Morgan. He had been nails all year long, but he gives up two runs. In just a third of an inning of work, that ups his ERA to a 138 for a Philadelphia Phillies bullpen that, let's face it, has been awful. How about the Boston Red Sox in the third inning that they had against the Chicago White Sox? It did not go well for our good buddy who has the terrific name, Manuel Benuelos, as the Boston Red Sox. 15-2 winners. They had nine runs in that third inning, and they played a lot of long ball. Eduardo Nunez, his first home run of the year. Xander Bogarts, his fifth. Michael Chavis, his fifth and sixth home runs of the year as the Boston Red Sox just completely pounded him out. Eduardo Rodriguez, arguably his best star of the year. He goes six innings, he gives up one run. Tyler Thornburg in relief, not surprisingly, gives up one run. He now is a 798 ERA, but Benuelos... He gives up nine runs in 2.2 innings, all of which were earned. His ERA now a 5.96. Carson Fulmer gives up five runs, three of which were earned in that third inning as well. He is now is a 6.97 ERA. From there, the Chicago White Sox bullpen wasn't bad. I've been noting noting how good the White Sox bullpen has been recently, and Jose Abreu wound up hitting a home run for the Chicago White Sox, but all in all, not an ideal day for them, and certainly not an ideal day for the. Toronto Blue Jays as they wound up having their starter get blown up as well as the Texas Rangers wind up getting an 8-5 win over the Toronto Blue Jays. The big issue with the Toronto Blue Jays is the fact that in 2.1 innings as a starter, Thomas Pannone gives up 7 runs, all of which were earned. The bullpen from there only gave up 1 run, none of which were earned. So that was a good sign for the Toronto Blue Jays, but the Texas Rangers were able to get I wouldn't call it a good start from Lance Lynn, but they got a start from him. Six innings pitch, he gives up five runs, all of which were earned, but you got to like that Noah Mazar wound up having his sixth dinger of the year, and it was just a bevy of guys for a Texas Rangers team that leads the league in runs scored per game, being able to get the job done, so that was big there. The Cincinnati Reds knock off the San Francisco Giants by a count of 9-2, exacting revenge after they gave up an 8-0 lead on Friday. For the Cincinnati Reds, a lot of guys went yard. 
Tucker Barnard, his third dinger of the year. Dan Diedrich, his eighth. Eugenio Suarez, he wound up going deep for his eighth. And then Yasiel Puig goes deep for his fifth home run of the year. And they even got a home run out of a little bit of an unexpected source. Starting in center field for the team was Nick Senzel. He gets his first home run of the year. And for the Cincinnati Reds, center Rorick looked pretty good. 6.2 innings, gives up two runs, both of which were earned. For the San Francisco Giants, you can no longer trust in Derek Rodriguez. He gives up eight runs, including four dingers and five innings. The San Francisco Giants bullpen continues to be pretty decent, but all in all, just a bad showing there. The LA Dodgers and the San Diego Padres wound up playing in a little bit of a shootout as the Dodgers are able to get a 7-6 win. Rich Hill looked like a 39-year-old pitcher in this one. He goes four innings, giving up three runs, three of which were earned. And then out of the bullpen, they had a bunch of guys that pitched well, except for Joe Kelly. Joe Kelly in a Third of an inning gives up three runs, all of which were earned. And then for the San Diego Padres, being able to provide the power in this one was Manny Machado. He had his seventh and eighth home runs of the year. He had a very big game as he was able to drive in three runs, but Joey Lucchese continues to have issues. Five innings pitch, he gives up three runs, all of which were earned. And then a San Diego Padres bullpen that has been nails all year long wound up getting Kurt wound up having Kirby Yates failed them once again. His second loss in the last three days, a little bit stunning there, and then Brad Wiak gives up in a third of an inning of work three runs, so that was a little bit stunning, and then something else that was a bit stunning is the fact that the Colorado Rockies give up nine runs once again on Saturday. They lose to the Arizona Diamondbacks by a count of 9-2. to two. Kyle Freeland now 2-5 and five on the year. He goes six innings, but he gives up eight runs, all of which were earned. 590 is now his ERA. From there, the Colorado Rockies bullpen was decent, but the damage had already been done, and Luke Weaver looks like a very good starter. Now a 329 ERA at Coors Field gives up just one run in seven innings. And then for the Arizona Diamondbacks, Nick Ahmad hits his third home run of the year. That was absolutely sensational. David Peralta winds up going deep as well. That was his fifth of the year. He had really been doing a good job of being able to provide an above 300 average, but the power hadn't been there. And then Carson Kelly winds up getting his first stinger of the year as well. So a lot of big takeaways there. The Arizona Diamondbacks offense continues to be hot. It seems like the New York Mets are really coming back down to earth with regards to their hitting. The Cincinnati Reds continue to get good hitting. The Texas Rangers stay hot with their bats. The LA Dodgers seem to be getting back online with their bats. And then the Tampa Bay Rays continue to play unders. And the Oakland A's in general just seem to be playing games in which the other team is able to score five plus runs as well and the minnesota twins continue to win as well so big takeaways there from saturday now let's turn the page forward to sunday as joining me next is going to be scott seinenberg of nbc sports radio and the believe podcast network right here on mlb overtime betting Greg is going to the bullpen as he makes a call to the Azunia Hotline. And we're back here on MLB Overtime. Greg Peterson broadcasting from the Azunia Tequila Studios out here in beautiful Las Vegas. We had this gentleman on our podcast a few weeks ago. Did tremendous on there. You can catch him on NBC Sports Radio. He's typically doing updates and other shenanigans on there. You can follow him on Twitter at Scott's on Air. And he is a part of the Believe Podcast. Does great work with the MLB, college football. The list goes on and on. It is Scott Seidenberg joining me. And Scott, how are you doing today? What's going on, Greg? It's been a profitable run so far for you and I both. So I'm feeling pretty good about this. 
Myself as well. Been a rough couple of days for myself, but all in all, for the year, it's been going very well, and that's what's important because, as you know, there's always going to be some up and downs in the baseball season, 162 games. You're going to go hot. You're going to go cold. It's all about overcoming that, and I think that something we talked about on this podcast a few weeks ago, just taking plus money because it's not always that you're going to cash, but in the long run, I feel like it's the most profitable way to bet baseball. Yeah, and everyone understands or everyone should understand that it's a marathon, not a sprint. You can get excited over a two or three day hot streak, but over the course of a baseball season, you have to be prepared to live with the ups and the downs. And that's why you and I have talked about this before. Bankroll management is so important. You can't blow your load on the first couple of days because then you're just sitting here with nothing to bet on or you can't vary your unit size. I recommend staying consistent throughout because... Yeah, there might be some games you like a little more and you might regret it. For instance, on Friday, the Cubs had a day game against the Cardinals, if you remember. And Thursday night, the Cardinals were in a rain delay and actually wound up staying in D.C. later than usual. So in my mind, I'm like, of course, the Cubs are going to win on Friday afternoon. But did I go more than one unit? No, because I'm trying to stay consistent throughout, understanding that it's a marathon, not a sprint. And if you lose the one unit, you can afford to win it back the next day, or you can lose a couple of units. You're not sitting here chasing a big loss by taking such a heavy favorite or by pushing your unit size up, varying from bet to bet. Exactly. And let's go back to earlier a couple days ago, the Royals versus the Rays doubleheader. How many people saw the Royals being able to sweep that doubleheader? <laughs> I mean, seriously. I mean, if you look at all the stats and everything like that, nothing makes you say, hmm, Glenn Sparkman versus Blake Snell. Let's go with Glenn Sparkman. <laughs> Snell got tagged for seven runs in three innings by the Kansas City Royals. I don't think anybody saw that one happening. And if you laid the money line on that, you were playing upwards of minus 200 juice. I think you were a little safer going the minus 115 or 135 on that run line that day. Yeah, I was one of those people on the run line. And part of the reason why is something that I've noticed in baseball so far this year. It's been a hot trend. Myself and my buddy Jeff Nadeau have been all over it. In the Rays, 19 of their first 20 wins, they have won it by two-plus runs. I feel like these are the sorts of stats that you need to look at in baseball because you and I just talked about mitigating juice and taking plus prices being big. When you notice something like that, that is a huge advantage. And rather than laying like $2 on the Rays versus the Baltimore Orioles, you can take that run line, take significantly less, and know that the odds are in your favor. Are you reading my tweets? You must be reading my tweets, Greg, because I tweeted that out on Friday because and even the run line on Friday was at a significant juice because they were playing the Orioles. Yeah, yeah, because it was the Orioles. And look, you have a really good pitcher on the mound in Tyler Glass now. But still, the Rays, they have been one of the impressive teams to start this season. I think the baseball season as a whole, it hasn't gone the way that people have expected it. I don't think it's been too, too surprising, but there's been teams that a lot of people thought would jump out of the gate, Greg, that have been off to slow starts. But I stress it again. It's a marathon, not a sprint. I think those teams will come along. Like if I told you right now, the Boston Red Sox, as bad as they've been for the first part of this season, are only what five games out of first place and If I told you to give me the teams that are going to make the playoffs in the American League over the Red Sox, I think you had you'd have a hard time leaving them out of it. So I know the hangover might be real from the World Series. I know that you've been losing money if you're a Red Sox backer so far this season, but it's a marathon and talent wins out 
This is a team that I expect will get hot as the summer months come along. And something else that helps is the fact that on Sunday, it looks like they're going to be going up against Dylan Covey, who has an ERA of a 6.75 and a whip of three so far this year. <laughs> That'll always help you get online. It's Scott Seidenberg joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. And that should help out Rick Parcello, let's face it, has not been good himself. But we've noticed this so far this year. Guys like Chris Sale, Max Scherzer, they just haven't been the aces that we've noticed. But one ace I've actually felt very good about, Justin Verlander, he's going to be pitching on Sunday against the Angels, who sent out there Matt Harvey and his 6.54 ERA. I don't know about you, but there are very few aces I have been able to trust. Justin Verlander and Trevor Bauer are right at the top of my list. And I feel like this could be another good spot for the Houston Astros that actually have the best bullpen going into May. They were the only team with a bullpen ERA below three going into the month. Yeah, and I'm just a little curious about this game because, you know, it's not a traditional road game. It is being played in Monterey, Mexico. So I'm not really sure about any ballpark stats there or, or how the weather comes into play. If there's elevation that might come into play there, I'm just a little curious. So that might be a game where I sit back and I watch and I say, hey, Matt Harvey, you were kind of mean to me when I was in the locker room one time. So I'm going to root for the Astros in this one. And I know that the Reds and the Cardinals actually played in Monterey a few weeks ago. I remember one of those games stayed way under the total. One of those games was overwhelming, but that's just because both teams were ripping. The cover off the ball really didn't matter about ballpark conditions or anything like that. So I do think that it's very interesting. And what I noticed about those totals as well is that they were set pretty high. I saw them in like the 10-11 range. So I think it might be a good chance for an under, much like I've been playing the unders at Coors Field so far this mm. year. Coors Field, the past two years, have been very polite to the under because we all know about the elevation and everything like that. But one thing that we also know about the Rockies, their pitching is so much better this year than it has been in past years. We remember the Rockies were always a team that they would score a bunch of runs and they would give up a bunch of runs. But I feel like the Rockies are just a different team led by guys like Herman Marquez, Kyle Freeland, Seth Oberg, and Wade Davis out there in the bullpen. And I do feel like there is a lot of value in these Coors Field unders. Well, you got your boy Marquez pitching on Sunday against Zach Greinke, and that game could have underwritten all over it because Greinke's a guy who pitches to contacts, but his contact comes with ground balls. Like he fields this position extremely well, and I think this is the type of game that you could see Marquez deal, you could see Greinke deal, and it might come down to a battle of the bullpens. This Diamondbacks-Rockies afternoon Coors Field, 70-somewhat degrees, I feel like that's an underplay. I do, too. And we've got Scott Seidenberg joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. And ever since that first start of the year where Zach Greinke gave up, I don't even remember how many home runs the San Diego Padres. He has been terrific this year. And we talk about the velocity and everything like that being down. But what has really helped him out is his, is his location. It's the reason why he's got 46 punch outs and 44 innings so far this year. And he's been able to go deep into games because he's only issued eight walks as well. So... I really like both these guys as pitchers, so I'm really curious to see what the opening line comes out as because I just might take the underdog because I think that this is a very equal pitching matchup. Yeah, and it might be one of those games where you look at the positive run line, and, and I don't do this a lot, but sometimes the juice is a little worth it in a plus one and a half situation with a game where you think it's a coin flip. If the juice is not too much, and when I say not too much, I mean anything under 150 or 145. I, I wouldn't go above that because I think that's the threshold for kind of like the standard. Like if you were to buy points in like a football game or whatnot, you're talking about that 140, 150 range. I wouldn't go higher than that. If you got a plus one and a half situation, 
that's under the 150 range. It might be rare, but that's the type of game where you take it. Absolutely. And something else I'm noticing for Sunday is the fact that we've got the Indians going against the Seattle Mariners. Goes up against a guy in Eric Swanson that his ERA is a 6-6-2. The last time he was out there, I believe it was against the Texas Rangers. Whoever it was, he just got completely shelled. And I think that we're both noticing this as well. The Seattle Mariners got off to a terrific start with the bats this year. But the past week or so, they've really slowed things down. I feel like this could be a very strong play on the Indians' run line, just with the way the Mariners have struggled and the way that Bauer is dealing. Yeah, and they've been a good home team so far, the Indians. This is a bad spot for the Mariners. Last time these two teams played, the Indians swept them in three games. That was in Seattle, and I think it's going to be much more of the same with the series now shifting here to Cleveland. And something else that I'm noticing for Sunday, Zach Eflin, fresh off a complete game, is going to be going for the Philadelphia Phillies against the Washington Nationals, who I will say, their bullpen is looking much better. They were just absolutely awful to start the year with guys like Wander Suero wandering where the strike zone is and everything like that. But I've also noticed that the Phillies' bats have been cooling down a little bit since the beginning of the year. This could be another underplay as well, and I feel like the unders in baseball are starting to get better and better as these bullpens seem to be really finding their groove after just a really bad start to the year pretty much across baseball. I like Eflin a lot. I mean, he was a guy that I picked at the beginning of the year to be a dark horse Cy Young candidate. Hasn't lived up to it consistently so far. He did get rocked a couple of games sitting here at three and three on the year, but I I like what he brings to the table. What you have to watch for is weather in Philadelphia on Sunday. Rain is in the forecast. I don't know if they're going to get the game in or if the game might actually be pushed to the evening or if there's an open date in their schedule and they're just going to postpone this thing altogether. I would keep an eye on that game. There's definitely bad weather in the forecast for Sunday in Philadelphia. Absolutely. You always want to note that as Scott Seidenberg joining me right here on the podcast. Doesn't look like we're going to have bad weather in New York as the Yankees are going to be playing host of the Minnesota Twins. And one of the guys I like to make fun of on this podcast is Michael Pineda because this year <laughs> he's been more like Michael Pineda. Two and two, six, two, one ERA. The Minnesota Twins in general have been one of the top five most profitable teams in baseball. But if you're looking for one guy to fade, it has to be Mr. Pinata, who goes up against Domingo Herman, who's actually been spectacular what for the What a revelation, right? What a revelation this kid has been this year, Domingo Herman. You know, he's a guy, last year I remember being on the radio when the Yankees uh, got J-Hap. I made fun of Domingo Herman. He was the guy that I brought up to talk about how the Yankees would be much happier pitching J-Hap in a game rather than some random dude named Domingo Herman. Right? But this dude, he's had an incredible season so far. This is a great spot for the Yankees because there's familiarity with Michael Pineda. And I know that it's not maybe the lineup that Pineda had when he was on the Yankees, so the batters might not be too familiar with him, but there's archived footage, there's documentation, there's people within that Yankees scouting department that know the ins and outs of Michael Pineda, and the way that analytics have taken over baseball, that lineup on Sunday will be extremely prepared for everything that Pineda is going to throw at them. I am right there with you. And Scott, we've been talking a lot about pitchers that we like to back, pitchers that we like to fade. Quite a few of them are going on Sunday. Who are a couple other guys that you've been looking at and you've really been liking what you've seen from them so far this year? I bet against him one time, and I don't think I'm ever going to do it again. Frankie Montas is legit for this Oakland A's team. And they're playing in Pittsburgh. You know, same thing. A little weather might come into play there. It's an afternoon start, though. You might have a delay. Jordan Lyles has been okay 
in some limited action this season. The A's, you know how good their lineup is, right? You know that they can hit the ball out of the ballpark. PNC is kind of a friendly ballpark when it comes to that. But this Montas kid is, I've been so impressed with him. What is he, four and two on the year? He's got a sub three ERA. That's a spot where I'm looking at the A's. Even though they're on the road, I'm looking at them probably going to be road favorites. And it's not going to be that high, I don't think. I'm going to take the A's on Sunday. Absolutely. And Montas, the last time he took the mound, took the loss against Boston Red Sox. But I think all but one of those runs were unearned as he got zero. Oh, yeah. There was a play at first base. There was, if you remember, there was a play at first base where he went to cover and he stepped on the side of the bag. And that would have been a key out in the inning, right? Second out of the inning. And instead, it was like reviewed and they determined that he missed the bag. And what happens is the Red Sox wind up having a big inning there and it changed the whole course of the whole complexion of that game. He steps on the bag at the correct spot. They get the out. The whole game's different. They had a 4 nothing lead going into that inning. A's might win that game if they don't get up, give up that big inning. So little things like that are very hard to handicap for. So I really like this Montas kid. Absolutely. And I was on the A's with the plus money on that game as well. Uh, so was I. So was I. Oh, so man. was I. Well, let's not talk about that anymore. <laughs> exactly. Let's get rid of that. Where can the good people find you on social media and elsewhere? Yeah, just hit me up on Twitter at Scott's on air. S-C-O-T-T-S-O-N-A-I-R. New episodes weekly of the Sharp Edge Sports Betting Podcast with myself and legendary handicapper Brandon Lang. Of course, two for the money fame. And I also have a college football podcast and an NFL podcast with NFL scout and consultant Chris Landry. We did our post-draft recap, so you definitely want to tune into that as well. All on my Twitter page, at Scott's On Air. Terrific. A big thanks to Scott Seidenberg for joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. And now it is that time that I give you a side and total on every game on the Las Vegas betting board as we touch them all. Hey, I'm Steve Heitner, the guy who uttered the famous phrase, That's gold! And that's the inspiration of my new podcast, That's Gold with Steve Heitner. We talk sports, sports betting, movies, comedy, food, drink, Vegas, music, movies, and more. Five days a week. Did I say movies twice? Look, guys love it, whether they're hip or worried about breaking a hip. Find us on Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify and Stitcher. That's Gold with me, Steve Heitner. Welcome back to MLB Overtime. Greg is throwing a gem, so yeah, you better not blow it. Big thanks to Scott Seidenberg for joining me in the last segment as we're back here on MLB Overtime Betting. And now it is that time of the show on this wonderful Cinco de Mayo that I give you a side and total on every game on the Las Vegas betting board as we touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Nope, that due to birthday party obligations for someone, I am going to be doing this a little bit earlier than normal, so these numbers might move a little bit more than normal, which is why I'm probably going to have fewer plays locked in. For that reason, go to my Twitter page, at GNNers41. I will be updating with all the numbers I get, any changes that I make, everything like that. All going to be noted there, at GNNers41. As always, we go in Las Vegas rotation order, starting with 901, 902 on the betting rotation. The Atlanta Braves are in Miami to face off against the Marlins. Julio Tehran goes for the Atlanta Braves. 
Pablo Lopez for the Miami Marlins on this game. Seven and a half shaded over. Over is minus 115. Under is minus 105. If you like the Braves, anywhere between minus 128 and minus 130. If you like the Fish, anywhere between plus 118 and plus 120. What we've got here is a not very good pitching matchup. I know that the Miami Marlins are averaging fewer than three runs a game, and it's been pretty awful. But you know what? Julio Tehran gives up the runs, and so do the Miami Marlins in general. Let's just take a look at Julio Tehran, who actually has been doing a very good job of being able to get strikeouts, but a 2-4 record, 535 ERA, 38 and two-thirds innings. He's given up eight long balls. Pablo Lopez, the one thing I will say about him, 32 innings, he's only given up two dingers, but... He has a 4.78 ERA. The Miami Marlins bullpen is not very good. The Atlanta Braves bullpen is not very good either. And I will say for the Marlins, the bats seem to be coming around a little bit. They're not good. I will say that. They're still not good. But at the very least, Jose Alfaro going into Saturday's action was hitting above 300 with five home runs. Miguel Rojas hitting 281. Curtis Granderson still hitting below the Mendoza line, but at least he had four dingers. You've got guys like Martin Prado that are starting to step up for this team. So you've got at least a little bit of something. And then for the Atlanta Braves, you've just got significantly more bats that you can rely upon. Josh Donaldson now hitting more in the neighborhood of 275. Freddie Freeman above 300. Ronald Acuna Jr. has been struggling a little bit with a 270 average, but we all know what he brings to the table. Dick Parkakis and Brian McCann hitting above 300. Dansby Swanson has been an RBI machine, and Ozzy Albies doing a great job at the top of the lineup. And I will say with the Atlanta Braves, they have been getting some guys like Josh Tomlin doing a better job at the back end of that rotation. Biddle has been able to come in. He's been able to deliver some nice innings. Now, A.J. Minter, the closer, has been atrocious this year, but all in all, I have much more faith in both the bats of the Atlanta Braves and their bullpen. So for that reason, currently taking a look at an Atlanta Braves run line. Currently, I'm seeing this run line price at plus 120. I would like to be able to get a little bit of a better price, maybe more of a plus 130 or so. So currently in Wayne C mode there, and I'm going to be taking this total over, trying to see if I'm able to get minus 110 juice instead of 115, but certainly going to be playing the Braves and going to be playing this total over. 903, 904 on the bank rotation. The Washington Nationals head to Philadelphia to face off against the Phillies. Zach Eflin on the bump for the Phillies. Anibal Sanchez goes for the Washington Nationals. So in this game is 8. The over is minus 120. The under is even. If you like the Nationals, going to get plus 150. We want to lay it here with the Phillies, minus 160. Zach Eflin was lights out in his last start, going a complete game, something that has become essentially a dinosaur in this day and age of baseball. And I will say that for the Washington Nationals, they've been getting a little bit of better pitching out there in the bullpen, but Anibal Sanchez... 0-4 record, 5.91 ERA. He's only given up four home runs in 32 innings. That's not bad, but his whip is a 172. Zach Eflin's a 1-2-0 in 35 innings pitch, only allowed five walks. The six dingers are a little bit of a bugaboo, but with Anthony Rendon, Trey Turner, Juan Soto, and Ryan Zimmerman all on the 10-day injured list, you don't have a lot of bats out there for the Washington Nationals. They're currently relying on Adam Eaton to get on base. The top lineup has been decent with a Betting average just below 300. Victor Robles has been able to get the job done for this team as well. But who's really going to supply some power? Matt Adams is not doing a good job of being able to draw walks. He can sometimes go deep, but he's not doing a whole heck of a lot for this team. Wilmer Default at the bottom of the lineup. Not necessarily a great bet either. Jan Gomes has been okay this year, but he's been very limited. Probably their best hitter is Howie Kendrick at this point, who's hitting above 300. Meanwhile, for the Phillies, 
They just have not been consistent with the bats. You got like the way that Gene Segura is hitting above 300, but Bryce Harper heading into Saturday was hitting just 234. Reese Hoskins and GT Riomuto were both above 280. And then you've got Mikel Franco and Cesar Hernandez at the bottom of the lineup doing a decent job, but Andrew Bacutchin been a little bit hit or miss as well. I do think that this is going to be a little bit of a lower scoring game, but I just don't see how the Washington Nationals are going to be able to generate any runs. I'm currently taking a look at the run line price on the Philadelphia Phillies. Currently, the Phillies run line price I'm seeing is plus 120. would like to be able to get a little bit more, but I've already locked in this total under at even juice at under 8.5 just because I do think that we're going to see a little bit more of a rock fight. 905-906 on the betting rotation. It is the New York Mets facing off against the Milwaukee Brewers. Zach Davies toes the rubber for the home Brewers. Jason Vargas goes for the Mets. Total on this game, 9.5. The under anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120, over between minus 105 and even juice. If you like the Mets, you're going to be getting a plus price between plus 123 and plus 127. If you like the Brewers, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 133 and minus 137. Zach Davies is a guy that I really love to trust. And Jason Vargas, well, he is currently on the fade list. So I think that we all know what's going on here. I will say that for the Milwaukee Brewers, this is a little bit of a bruise and battered lineup at this point. They've been dealing with with the injury to Christian Yelich, who still remains day-to-day. He hasn't been put on the 10-day injured list, hitting 353, 14 home runs, 34 RBI, despite the fact that he essentially did not play all of last week. But the Brewers are still finding a way to get the job done. Seems like the bullpen has been doing a little bit better. Andrew Claudio has the most games recorded of any pitcher in the majors so far this year, and he's been decent in relief. ERA below four. Josh Hader might be available for this game as he did go two innings on Friday, so you want to note that as well. You do have some struggling bats out there for the Milwaukee Brewers, though. I know that Jesus Aguiar has been picking it up with the bat. He was able to get three home runs in that series against the Rockies, but still hitting below the Mendoza line. Brian Braun finally got his average above 200. He's been able to hit a couple home runs in recent days. That was good. Lorenzo Kane on Friday also hit a home run. All in all, he's hitting about 270. You got like the way that Mike Moustakis is hitting 280 along with Ben Gamel. Those those guys have been nice, but Orlando Arcia has been struggling. Manny Pina hitting below 200 along with Travis Shaw as well. And Eric Thames is doing a decent job as well, hitting right in the neighborhood of 265. And then with the Mets, they've really been cooling down, and they have a bullpen that absolutely stinks. Now, the good news is if you're betting on the New York Mets, Jersich Familia currently on the 10-day injured list. I say that because that's actually a good thing with how bad he's been. In the past couple days, the Mets have seen a little bit of better play out of the bullpen. Robbie Gazelman and Luis Avilan seem to be settling down a little bit, though. Avilon sells an ERA above nine, which is not good, but we have noticed that the Bats have really cooled down. Keon Broxton hitting well below the Mendoza line. Brandon Nemo hitting just above 200. Todd Frazier ever since coming off the injured list hitting below 200. Amit Rosario at the bottom of the lineup hitting right around 270 along with Robinson Cano towards the middle of the lineup. Jeff McNeil hitting nearly 350 which is Zaitis and Pete Alonso has been able to provide some good average and power going into Saturday. He had 9 home run and 26 RBI. But all in all I do think that this is a spot where you've got to trust in the better starter in Zach Davies. 1-3-8 ERA so far this year. Now he has a shoot 13 walks and 32 and two-thirds innings, but he's limited the hard contact, just two dingers in those innings. Meanwhile, Jason Vargas in more than 10 fewer innings, four home runs in 20 and a third innings. His whip is a 172, 575 ERA, 
12 walks in 20 and a third innings. This is just a guy that you can't trust. And with Jason Vargas not going deep into games, you got to figure that you're going to be seeing the bad Mets bullpen and you're going to see it early. For that reason, I'm taking a look at the Brewers on the run line. Currently seeing a plus 140 run line price on the Brewers and I'm going to take it and lock it in. Meanwhile, I'm waiting on under 9.5 trying to see if I'm able to get more minus 110 juice instead of 115. Just try to save a couple pennies there. 907, 908 on the bang rotation. The Arizona Diamondbacks are in Colorado to face off against the Rockies. Herman Marquez goes for the Rockies. Zach Ranky for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Total in this game is 9 with the over minus 115, the under minus 105. If you like the Diamondbacks, you're going to get anywhere between plus 118 and plus 120. If you want to lay it here with the Colorado Rockies, anywhere between minus 128 and minus 130. I really do like this pitching matchup, but Zach Greinke has been lights out ever since his first start of the year against the San Diego Padres. In that start against the Padres, he wound up giving up four home runs, got tagged for seven runs in four innings. Ever since then, he has been absolutely terrific. Zach Greinke since that start a 2-0-1 ERA. Even with that bad start for the year, he has a whip under one. He has 46 punchouts in 44 innings. Over his last 40 innings, he's given up just four deep balls, and he has just eight walks on the year. Meanwhile, Herman Marquez got a little bit touched up in his last start, but all in all, he's been great this year as well. 293 RA, 1.02 whip, 46 innings pitch, only 10 walks and five long balls. He's done a great job of being able to limit the hard contact. Now, I will say for the Arizona Diamondbacks, they've got one of the better offenses out there in the big leagues. Gatel Marte heading into Saturday at 9 home run, 26 RBI. He had been terrific. Christian Walker hitting just above 300. Gerard Dyson at the top of the lineup had been doing a terrific job for this team. He is hitting above 300. David Peralta hitting right around that 300 range as well. He hasn't had the power that he's had in past years with regards to the home runs, but he's still been doing a great job of getting on base along with Eduardo Escobar. And then you've got Adam Jones who's having a career rebirth. He's got six dingers on the year. All in all, you're just looking at a lineup with the Arizona and the Diamondbacks that's raking. Meanwhile, with Colorado Rockies, you've got some guys that are picking it up, but you've also got some sleepy bets as well. Daniel Murphy, ever since coming off the injured list, has been hitting in the neighborhood of 240. Mark Reynolds hitting below the Mendoza line, along with Ian Desmond. I do like the way that David Dahl has been hitting 315 average. Charlie Blackman at the top of the lineup hitting just below 290. Trevor Story hitting in the neighborhood of 265 with some power, and then Nolan Arenado has really picked it up in recent weeks. He now is hitting above 300. Nine home runs, 27 RBI going into Saturday, but I think with his pitch matchup and the way that both these bullpens have been performing. This is a spot where you've got to take the under. Coors Field's unders have been very profitable in the last two years since 2018 whenever you've had a total not be a push. The over has hit just 40 times. The under 53 times at Coors Field. So for that reason, I'm all about the under in this spot. I'm actually noticing that we've got steam coming in on the over, so I'm going to wait and see if I can even perhaps get a 10-year because you always want to take the best number that you can. And I'm going to take the Diamondbacks here because I do like Zach Ranke in this spot a little bit more than I like Herman Marquez, but just in wait and see mode on those plays as well. 909-910 on the betting rotation. We've got the Dodgers in San Diego to face off against the Padres. Nick Marigavicious goes for the home Padres. Kenta Maeda goes for the Dodgers. Total in this game is 8. The over is minus 115. The under is minus 105. If you like the Dodgers, you're going to be lying anywhere between minus 127 and minus 130. The Padres are between plus 117 and plus 120 underdogs. Kenta Maeda is one of those guys that he's either going to give you a terrific start or he's going to give you a pretty bad start. You just don't know what you're going to get out of him game to game. But you do know that with the San Diego Padres, you're getting one of the best bullpens out there in the big leagues. And Marigavicious, though he's only 2-3 and three on the year, 
That's actually been pretty good. In 30 and two-thirds innings across his starts, he's only allowed four home runs and 24 hits in those innings. He's issued 10 walks, which isn't bad. Whip of a 1-1-1. Meanwhile, Kenta Maeda's whip, 1-5-0 because he's issued 15 walks in 32 and two-thirds innings to go with his 4-4-1 ERA. And with the LA Dodgers, they've got some guys out there in their lineup that are struggling. Cody Bellinger is certainly not one of them. Heading into Saturday's action, hitting 415, 14 home runs, 38 RBI. Absolutely sensational. But with that said, where's the power with Justin Turner? He went into Saturday with just home, one home run so far this season. Kike Hernandez has been okay at the top lineup, hitting in the neighborhood of 270. But Corey Seager is hitting 225. Chris Taylor, he had a nice home run on Friday, but he's still hitting below the Mendoza line. Austin Barnes hitting 220. Alex Verdugo has been a nice fine hitting above 300 as well. But all in all, you've got some guys that are struggling with the bats. Meanwhile, with the San Diego Padres, Ian Kinsler, despite a just absolutely crummy start to the year, has started to find it. He has three home runs in the last three games. He's still hitting below the Mendoza line, but he's starting to come around. Eric Hosmer has really picked it up with a bat. He's now hitting more in the neighborhood of 270 after being below the Mendoza line for much of the year. Whatever you put in there at the catcher spot for the San Diego Padres has not been working, but Will Myers seems to be picking things up as well. Hunter Renfro and Manny Machado have not been very good so far this year, but you do have to like what you've seen out of Famio Reyes as well. He's gotten his average back above 250, and he's been able to provide eight, eight dingers. And then you got to think that Kirby Yates, after winding up taking the loss on Friday, if he gets a chance to close out the game, he's going to be able to do it here. I trust in the San Diego Padres pitching in this one, and I do think that the bats of the LA Dodgers are not going to be able to waken in this one. So I'm going to be looking at the Padres with the plus price and the under. Currently in Wayne C mode on both these numbers, trying to see if I'm able to get perhaps an 8.5 on the total and a little bit more juice on the Padres just because I know that a lot of people are probably going to be seaming up the Dodgers here. So in wait and see mode there, but going to be on the Padres and the under. 9-11, 9-12 on the Bay rotation. The Cincinnati Reds play host to the San Francisco Giants. Jeff Samarja toes the rubber for the Giants. Meanwhile, you've got Luis Castillo going for the Reds. Total in this game, 8. And the under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. Over between minus 105 and minus 110. The Reds are a 160 favorite and the Giants are a plus 150 underdog. Though we saw quite the overwhelming result on Friday with the San Francisco Giants clawing back from an 8 to nothing lead all in all at its core. Both these teams have been struggling to hit going into Saturday. The Giants were hitting 221 as a unit. The Cincinnati Reds 210 and the Giants not really a lot of power. 27 home runs in their first 32 games of the year. Stephen Voigt looked absolutely terrific going 3 for 3 in that game on Friday including the game tying home run but you can't think that that's going to last very long. The only consistent player that's being seen on a day to day basis that's hitting above 250 for the San Francisco Giants is Stephen Duke. Brandon Belt heads into Saturday's action with a 229 average and five home runs. Kevin Pillar also has hit five dingers so far this year. Buster Posey seems to be coming alive with the average, but all in all, you don't have a lot of guys that are doing a great job as Brandon Crawford. Barely hitting above the Mendoza line. Pablo Sandoval as a pitch hitter has been decent, but Evan Longoria is hitting 223. The list goes on and on. You just don't have a lot of guys that you can trust out there in this lineup. Meanwhile, for the Cincinnati Reds, Joy Votto is hitting below 220. That is absolutely absurd. Jesse Winker has been hitting 243, and he's been able to supply some power, which has been nice, but Yasiel Puig is hitting below the Mendoza line. Matt Kemp is on the injured list. Dan Diedrich has actually been doing very good for the team. Seven home runs hitting 250. That's been a good find for them. Jose Iglesias hitting above 300 was very unexpected, but all in all, you've got two lineups that are not lending themselves being able to put up a lot of runs. Jeff Samarja this year has looked much better on the bump than he did last year. 2-1 record, 2-5 
5-3 ERA, 106 whip, has given up just three home runs in 32 innings, and he's only issued 10 free passes as well. Luis Castillo has been an ace. 1-4-5 ERA, 3-1 record, 43 in a third innings, 50 punch outs, 17 walks is a little bit high, but just Two home runs in 43 and a third innings. And there's nothing that the Giants are showing you that lends you to thinking otherwise. Both these teams also have very good bullpens, unlike what we saw a couple days ago. So for that reason, going to be on this total under. Currently in Wayne Simo to see if I can get a little bit of better juice on under eight, but I'm going to be certainly playing it. And I'm currently pondering whether to play the Reds on the money line or the run line. Depends on how the juice shakes out. If we see this more seem down to minus 145 or so, certainly going to look at the Reds on the money line. Might be taking a run line price as well. This is just sort of a wait and see mode just because I don't like to lay 160 in the spot. But I do think that it's going to be a lower scoring game and I do think the Reds are going to win it. So currently eyeing the Reds money line and the under just in wait and see mode as to what specifically I'm going to do with that Reds run line, money line, what have you. 913. 914 on the banging rotation. The St. Louis Cardinals are in Chicago to face off against the Cubs. Adam Wainwright goes for the St. Louis Cardinals. Jose Quintana for the Chicago Cubs. The currently, there is no total up on the board since this is a game in Wrigley Field. You'll have to check back on my Twitter page at one for a play on that when it is posted in the morning. But I can tell you right now that the Cardinals are between a plus 123 and plus 125 underdog. The Cubs, you're laying anywhere between minus 133 and minus 135. I absolutely love what I've seen out Jose Quintana so far this year. And Adam Wainwright has actually been doing quite a decent job of being able to pitch himself. 3-2 record for Adam Wainwright, 373 ERA, 31 and one-thirds innings. The 12 walks are a little bit high. He's given up five home runs, but he's been doing a great job of being able to limit our contact and being able to strand men on base. Kitana, meanwhile, 3-1, 3-4 ADRA. He has really found it ever since a bad starter or two to begin the year. Five dingers in those 33 and two-thirds innings and only nine walks issued, which is terrific. For the Chicago Cubs, we've got some guys that are starting to hit it now for this team. Javi Baez entered into Saturday's action, hitting 3-12. 10 home runs as well. That has been a good find for this team. The St. Louis Cardinals, they have been smacking the ball all over the yard so far this year. In 20 out of their last 24 games, they have hung at least four runs up on the board. Now Matt Carpenter is struggling. He's hitting just above 200, but we saw him come into his own with three hits against the Chicago Cubs on Saturday. That was big Jose Martinez hitting above 360. Marcel Ozuna has really been able to supply some power already. 10 home runs this year. Paul Goldschmidt has been a little bit cold this year. His average is back below 250, but you've got Paul DeYoung still hitting above 300 along with Dexter Fowler, who returned to the lineup yesterday. Yadier Molina has been picking it up with the bat. And then you take a look on the other side for the Chicago Cubs. Javi Baez has really been the constant for this team, hitting 313. They got a very, very big surprise as hitting a grand slam for the team yesterday was their backup catcher in Taylor Davis, but you got to think that Wilson Contreras is going to be back behind the dish on this day, and he's hitting 300, and he's been able to supply some power. Got like the way that David Bodie's hitting right around 280. Daniel Descalso has really seen his average plummet, but Jason Hayward's still hitting above 300, which has been nice. Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant seem to be picking it up a little bit more along with Kyle Schwarber, though I will say that all these guys still hitting below 250. So, still leaves a little bit of something to be desired. But I do think that Kitana going to be able to deliver a much better start in this one than Wainwright. So, for that reason, I am looking at the Chicago Cubs in this spot. Currently in wait and see mode as to what the conditions are going to be. So, I want to try to see if I can get the Cubs maybe around minus 125 or so. And obviously, the win might 
change this play a little bit. But currently looking at the Cubs, total just going to be completely reliant on the conditions and Hugh Darvish and Michael Waka not necessarily given the best of starts. 9-15, 9-16 on the bang rotation. The Tampa Bay Rays are in Baltimore to face off against the Orioles. Jonathan Means goes for the Baltimore Orioles. Tampa Bay Rays going to be going with an opener. And because the Tampa Bay Rays have not announced who their opener is going to be, this total is currently off the board. I can tell you right now, I'm probably going to be looking at a run line and an under once again with the Tampa Bay Rays. They have just been lights out with their pitching in general. You got to think that we're going to probably see a little bit of Jalen Beeks. We saw in that doubleheader against the Tampa Bay Rays. And he, for the year, has been giving this team an ERA right around three. You got to think that Ryan Stanek is probably going to get a couple innings as well. As an opener, Sands that doubleheader against the Kansas City Royals. He has been very good so far this year as well. And the Rays have just been white hot heading into Saturday. 21 and 11. 20 out of those 21 wins by at least two runs. Jonathan Means has actually been a decent pitcher. Aside from his one bad start against the Chicago White Sox last week, he's been solid. 3 and 3 record, 281 ERA. Whip of a 117 in 25 and two-thirds innings. He's given up four home runs, which is a little bit tough, but only seven walks. And then for the Tampa Bay Rays, you've got some good bats, though they're not necessarily great. Austin Meadows being out of the lineup obviously hurts, but Brandon Lowe hitting above 300. Yandy Diaz entered into the weekend hitting 257, seven home runs. 18 RBI. And then with the Tampa Bay Rays, you've got G-Man Choi back in the lineup. He's been hitting more in the neighborhood of 270. Tommy Pham hitting nearly 300 himself. Nathaniel Lowe has been doing a good job at the DH spot hitting above 250, along with Avicio Garcia who's hitting closer to 270. Kevin Kiermaier has picked it up with the bat. The catcher spot in general has been a woe with the Rays, but what we've noticed with the Baltimore Orioles is that it seems like their offense is heading back down to earth. Chris Davis still hitting below 200. Stevie Wilkerson has been hitting around 250-ish. Rio Ruiz more in the neighbor of 240. Renato Nunes, Dwight Smith Jr. and company just not providing as much power, but Trey Boomba Mancini hitting 351. But with the Orioles not really hitting home runs, this is just not a fundamentally sound team. They do a terrible job of being able to drive in runners. So for that reason, I think the Tampa Bay Rays are just going to throw at them a little bit too much. Obviously, I don't have set numbers as of right now since this game is off the board, but currently looking at the Rays run line, and as long as we get a total right around 9, which is typically what we've been seeing in these games, I'm going to be taking this total under. 917-918 on the banging rotation. The New York Yankees play host to the Minnesota Twins. Michael Pineda goes for the Minnesota Twins. Domingo Herman for the Yankees. Total this game is 8.5 with the over minus 120. Under even juice. If you like the Yankees, that is minus 145. If you like the Twins, plus 135. The Twins looked very solid on Saturday as they were able to put up seven runs on the board on the Yankees as the Yankees bullpen seems to be getting a little bit taxed. But I think that Domingo Herman going to be able to give them a quality start. I certainly don't think that he's going to be able to keep up this pace of a 5-1 record. 2.56 ERA and a 0.85 whip going, but but he's been tremendous this year. In 31 and two-thirds innings, he's only given up two home runs, nine walks. He's been great. And 18 hits in those 31 and two-thirds innings. Meanwhile, Michael Pineda, there's a reason why I call him Michael Pineda. Two and two record, 621 ERA, 148 whip. And he's backed up by a Minnesota Twins bullpen that's below the league average in regards to ERA. He's only got 22 punch-outs in those 29 innings, 37 hits allowed, six stingers. He's done a good job of being able to limit walks, but for the New York Yankees, they got Miguel Andujar back into the lineup yesterday. Obviously, that's big. Gary Sanchez has 11 home runs and 21 RBI, despite the fact that he was on the injured list earlier in the year. Eddie Rosario on the flip side for the Minnesota Twins also has 11 dingers of his own. Only 
hitting 222, but he's been able to supply the power. Jorge Polanco hitting 313. Nelson Cruz was able to get a home run late in the game yesterday as well. He's hitting above 300 for the Minnesota Twins. Max Kepler has been hitting more in the neighborhood of 270. And then you take a look at some of the guys that are struggling for the Minnesota Twins. Marwin Gonzalez and CJ Crone both hitting below 225. But Jonathan Scope and Byron Buxton at the bottom of the lineup have been able to deliver something. And Mitch Carver, the catcher, has actually been hitting in the one hole, hitting 333. And then for the Yankees, you got some guys that are hitting for a good average as well. DJ LeMahieu hitting 317. Whenever Gio Urshela has been in the lineup, he's been in and out of it. He's hitting great at right around 333. Cameron Mabin, since he got introduced into the starting lineup, 368 average. Austin Romine has been struggling with the bat along with Mark Talkman, but you also have Luke Voigt, who's hitting nearly 270. He's been able to supply nine home runs this year as well. So you gotta like what you're seeing out of the Yankees. I do think that this is gonna be a little bit of a higher scoring game, and I think that Michael Pineda gonna become Michael Pineda once again. This is a Yankees organization that knows him well. I'm taking a look at the run line price here of plus 130 with the Yankees, and I'm gonna take it. And then with this total currently at minus 115 juice on over 8.5, I'm currently in wait and see mode to try to see if I can get more minus 110 or look for an unjuiced 9. So, gonna be playing this total over, and I've already locked in the Yankees run line. We move on to 9-19-9-20 on the bang rotation. The Seattle Mariners head to Cleveland to face off against the Indians. Eric Swanson goes for the Seattle Mariners. For the Cleveland Indians, it is Cody Anderson making his first start of the year. The total on this game is 9.5. The under is at minus 115. The over is at minus 105. If you want to take a shot here on the Seattle Mariners, you're going to get anywhere between plus 113 and plus 115. If you like the Tribe, anywhere between minus 123 and minus 125. This is a spot where I actually do look at Cody Alexander being able to deliver a good start. I know that this is his first start of the year, but he actually was a starter for this team back in the 2015 season and the 2016 season. Actually, in 2015, he made 15 starts for this team, so it's not like he's unfamiliar to it. He had a 3.05 ERA and was 7-3. and He was actually terrific for them. And then during the 2016 season, the wheels fell off. Had a 6.68 ERA that season, and he's been used essentially as a long reliever this year. In three appearances, he has five innings and has given up three runs in those five innings. He has only issued two walks in five innings, so not really a big sample size here, but we do have his past to be able to look back on. But we do know that Eric Swanson, uh, boy, he's not been good for the Seattle Mariners, to say the least. In his last outing, I believe it was against the Texas Rangers, he got completely shellacked. 0-3, ERA, 17 and two-thirds innings. He's given up five home runs. And with the Seattle Mariners, we do know that they're able to hit the ball. They had four solo home runs yesterday against the Cleveland Indians. They've been doing a really good job of mashing. The average hasn't necessarily been there for a lot of guys. D. Gordon hitting right in the neighborhood of 300. That's been nice for them. He's been doing a good job at the top slash bottom of the lineup. But then you've got some other guys that are really cold with the bats. Jay Bruce has been able to provide a bunch of home runs, but he's hitting only a buck 82. Edwin Encarnacion, 234. Mitch Hanniger, 244. Daniel Vogelbach has seen his average dip back down to 288. Though you got like the Domingo Santana Ray has 30 RBI this year. He has been terrific. And then you take a look at the Cleveland Indians. Seems like the bats are starting to round back into form. Francisco Lindor had two hits yesterday, including his fourth home run of the year. Carlos Santana had his fifth dinger of the year. Jose Ramirez still hitting below the Mendoza line along with Jason Kipnis, but you got to think that these guys are going to be able to come along. The catcher spot in general for the Indians with Perez and Kevin Ploiecki is not been good, but Taylor Naquin at the bottom of the lineup hitting nearly 270 as well. Carlos Gonzalez only hitting 200. 
two, but I do think that the Indians, with their great bullpen, probably going to be able to get Cody Anderson out of the game before he gets shelled too bad. Meanwhile, on the other side for the Seattle Mariners, I do think that it's a little bit of a horse apiece because Swanson is a terrible pitcher, but the Cleveland Indians have not been able to get things going overall. But I am taking a look at the Cleveland Indians in this spot. I do want to wait and see on this one a little bit just so that I can do a little bit more research on Anderson and try to see if I can get maybe more of a minus 115 or minus 120. I'm currently waiting see mode to see if I can get more even juice on the under, but currently looking at the Indians and the under in this spot. Just currently waiting on a little bit of different numbers on each of these. 921, 922 on the betting rotation. The Kansas City Royals head to Detroit to face off against the Tigers. Spencer Turnbull goes for the Tigers. Ben Keller goes for the Kansas City Royals as we're seeing a total of 8.5. The 8.5 as a under between minus 110 and minus 115 juice over between minus 105 and minus 110. If you like the Tigers, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 122 and minus 125. For the Royals, you're going to get a plus price between plus 112 and plus 115. Keller is a guy that I was really backing towards the beginning of the year, but he's really hit the skids lately. He had a really bad start in Tampa Bay when he faced off against the Rays. He then looked bad in his next start as well. This is just a guy that I really soured on. And Spencer Turnbull has actually looked much better than I thought he would this year. Last year, he was a little bit brutal, but he currently has a 2.53 ERA this season. 13 walks and 32 innings isn't necessarily great, but he's only given up two long balls. And Brad Keller has done a nice job of limiting hard contact as well. 42 innings, given up just three home runs. His big issue, 23 walks in those innings, though. And then with the Kansas City Royals, you've got some guys out there that are hitting very well. Obviously, they were able to hang a massive number up on the Detroit Tigers yesterday, so that was obviously good to see. As the Royals all this year have been a team that at the top have been hitting very well with Whit Merrifield and Adalberto Mondesi both hitting above 280. Alex Gordon hitting nearly 300. And Hunter Dozier doing all that he's doing. He's currently hitting 346 and leading the team in home runs. But it was nice to see Gordon be able to get his sixth home run of the year. And then towards the bottom of the lineup, you had a lot of production with Ryan O'Hearn getting his average up to 183. Martin Maldonado still hitting a buck 86. And Billy Hamilton just above the Mendoza line. But you had Jorge Soler pop off for three hits. That was obviously big. He had a home run on Friday. He seems to be coming into his own. And ever since they got Lucas Duda on the 10-day injured list, it has given Calvin Gutierrez some starts. And he's actually looked pretty good. He's currently hitting 355 as he went 4 for 5 yesterday. Very big showing there as the Kansas City Royals seem to be coming alive with the bats. But I do think that that might have been a one-day only ordeal as going into Saturday as a team they were hitting just 239. Meanwhile, for the Detroit Tigers, they are light hitting as well. They entered into Saturday with just 21 home runs in their first 29 games. Miguel Cabrera's coming along with that. He's hitting nearly 300. They currently have Christian Stewart on the injured list, but he wasn't doing much for this team anyway. He was hitting right around 200 with three home runs. Not really lighting it up. Nico Goodrum has had a little bit of bad luck this year in regards to where he's been hitting the ball. He's been making good contact. And it was good to see that Jose Candelaria was able to get a home run for this team. His first of the year, he's now hitting 236. Nick Cassianos has come along with a 273 average, but you still got Jacoby Jones hitting below the Mendoza line. Jody Mercer hitting just above 230. Goodrum himself below 230 as well. So if you got some sleepy bats out there for the Detroit Tigers, I think that this is a game that's going to be dominated by pitching. And I think that the Tigers have the better pitcher out there. Currently in Wayne C mode on this number, I'm going to be looking at taking the Tigers. Want to try to see if I can get more around a minus 115 price, but I'm going to be on them. I've already locked in this total under though. I just cannot see any way that either team gets over four runs with this pitching matchup. 923, 924 on the betting rotation. We've got the Boston Red Sox in the Battle of the Sox in Chicago. 
Chicago facing off against the White Sox. Dylan Covey goes for the Chicago White Sox. Just announced a couple minutes ago as I'm doing this podcast. Rick Porcello goes for the Boston Red Sox. Since this pitching change was just announced during the evening, I have no lineup on this game, but I can tell you right now, I'm probably going to be taking a look at the run line with the Boston Red Sox, and I'm probably going to be taking a look at an over. Rick Porcello looked very good in his last outing. I think that he gave up like no runs or one run in eight innings of work against the Oakland A's. He was terrific, but for the year, 5.52 ERA, 171 whip, 31 innings pitch. He's Issued 17 walks and given up five long balls. He's actually lucky that his ERA is not bigger. Meanwhile, Dylan Covey, oh boy, he was not a pitcher that you wanted to back last year. He's currently 0-1 this year with a 6.75 ERA. Very small sample size as he only pitched 1.1 innings. But last year, in 21 starts and 27 total appearances, 121 and two-thirds innings, he gave up 52 free passes. Had a 5.18 ERA, a 5-14 record. Opponents hit 270 off of him. 91 strikeouts in 121 and two-thirds innings. He doesn't have good plus stuff, and that's going to lend itself to the Chicago White Sox bullpen probably being very busy on this day. Going into the weekend, J.D. Martinez was hitting really well for the Boston Red Sox, hitting 339. Mookie Betts has really seen his average uptick after a very slow start to the year. He is now hitting more in the neighborhood of 290. Xander Bogart's hitting around 270. Michael Chavis, who has come on with all the injuries, is hitting above 300. Rafael Devers hitting nearly 300. I will say that Eduardo Nunez and Steven Pierce knocking the job done along with the catcher spot and Jackie Bradley Jr. But you do have some good bats out there for the Red Sox, including Mitch Moreland, who's not getting it done with average, but is providing a lot of home runs. Meanwhile, for the Chicago White Sox, Yonder Alonso hitting below the Mendoza line has not been good. Ryan Cordell just above 200. Nicky Delmonico had a nice walk-off home run earlier in the series against the Boston Red Sox, but all in all, this outfield not hitting very well. Yohan Mankata has seen a little bit of a regression in regards to his numbers. Still hitting nearly 300, but he hasn't hit a home run in a while. Jose Abreu said it heated up with the bat. He entered into Saturday with 30 RBI. And Tim Anderson still hitting nearly 340 as well. So that's been nice. So for that reason, we're probably going to be taking a look at an over. and going to be taking a look at a Red Sox run line, but this is one that I don't have a number on, so check back in the morning on my Twitter page, at GNNRSquarty1 for official plays. 9.25, 9.26 on the betting rotation. The Toronto Blue Jays are in Texas to face off against the Rangers. Drew Smiley, fresh off the injured list, goes for the Texas Rangers. Clay Buckles on the bump for the Toronto Blue Jays. Total in this game is ranging between 10.5 and 11. If you like the 10.5, the over is minus 120, the under is even. If you like 11, under between minus 115 and minus 120, over between minus 105 and even even juice. If you like the Blue Jays, you're going to get anywhere between plus 110 and plus 111. If you want to lay it here with the Rangers, anywhere between minus 120 and minus 121. Clay Buckles clearly not the pitcher that he was the past couple years, but all in all, he's a much better option than Drew Smiley. I will tell you that. Drew Smiley, like I said, just coming off the injured list, and before he went on the injured list, he wasn't good. He also hadn't pitched in quite a few years at the big league level, level this year. 0-2. 780 ERA for Mr. Smiley. 15 innings pitched. 
He's given out 10 free passes and has given up four home runs. Clay Buckles, ever since he's gotten into the rotation for the Toronto Blue Jays, 479 ERA, 1-4 whip, three home runs in 20 and two-thirds innings, and he's given up 24 hits, but he has limited the walks. I will give him that. For the Texas Rangers, they've been hitting really well as a team. Elvis Andrews entered into the weekend, inning 342. Joey Gallo, 266, 11 home runs and 26 RBI, but I do think that he's in for some regression. We saw the Rangers score zero runs in their extra inning game against the Toronto Blue Jays as the Blue Jays bullpen in general has been nailed so far this year, especially with guys like Ken Giles and Sam Caviglio having ERAs below two. Heck, even Danny Hudson has been able to do a good job there. No Mazar only hitting 231. Rudnett Odor hitting below 140. Danny Santana is not going to be able to keep up his 333 average as Rubel Cabrera is hitting 225. You've got a bunch of feasts for famine bats, including Jeff Mathis and Keener Falefa, who both at the catcher spot are hitting below the Mendoza line, along with the Lionel DeShields Jr. Hunter Pence has been hitting early 300. That's nice, but I do think that the Toronto Blue Jays are going to be able to shut down these bats. And with the Toronto Blue Jays, they've been very good ever since Eric Sogard has gotten into the lineup. Winning percentage over 65% whenever he plays. He entered into Saturday with a 380 average. Freddie Galvis has been hitting nearly 290. Randall Gritchick and Justin Spoke have both up their average to above 250. Flagger Jr. has struggled ever since getting called up to the big leagues. He's heading below the Mendoza line. And Brandon Jewry has been able to provide some power recently. He had quite a few home runs over the past week. Teoscar Hernandez hitting just above 200. And the whole catcher spot for the Toronto Blue Jays is a hot mess. So for that reason, I'm playing this total under. But I have much more faith in the bullpen of the Toronto Blue Jays than that of the Texas Rangers, which has guys like Jesse Chavez and Jose Leclerc with ERAs above 8. And I do think that this is a pitching match mismatch in regards to the starters as well. Already on this total under and have locked that one in. And I'm going to be taking the plus price with the Toronto Blue Blue Jays, just in Wayne C mode as to what kind of a plus price I'm going to be able to end up with with the Blue Jays. 927, 928 on the betting rotation. The Houston Astros and the LA Angels are going to be playing a game in Mexico, Monterrey, Mexico, as we talked about with our good friend Scott Seidenberg. Matt Harvey on the bump for the Angels. Justin Verlander goes for the Houston Astros. The total on this game is 9, and it is shaded over, over between minus 115 and minus 120, under anywhere between even juice and minus 105. If you like the Astros, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 195 and minus 200. If you like the Angels, you're going to get anywhere between plus 175 and plus 180. It's just hard to trust Matt Harvey at this point. I've been fading aces all year long in regards to baseball in general, but one of the aces I have not been fading so far this year has been Justin Verlander, and he's been one of the best starters out there in the big leagues. I know that he took a loss the last time he went out there, but that really wasn't his fault, as the Astros in that game against the Minnesota Twins about a week ago lost by a count of 1-0. Justin Verlander for the year, 4-1 record, 2-4-5 ERA, 0.86 whip, 44 innings pitch, 53 strikeouts, 11 walks rendered. Meanwhile, Matt Harvey, 31 and two-thirds innings. He's issued 13 walks. 654 ERA, 139 whip. It's just not good. I will say that the Houston Astros are very selective of when they decide to hit and when they decide not to. Jose Altuve heading into this series in Mexico, nine home runs, 20 RBI, hitting 248. Josh Reddick had a batting average above 340. He's been getting the job done, but we've noticed that some of these Astros bats have been coming back to earth. Michael Brantley has been a bit of a constant. He's hitting above 300. Alex Bregman, though, has seen a dip in his average of 260. Yuri Uriel, 235. 
Diaz has been hitting right around 235 as well. Robinson Chirinos has been up and down along with Tony Kemp and Tyler White. Meanwhile, you take a look at the other end for the LA Angels. They've actually been getting something out of Brandon Goodwin who's hitting 341 with some power. Cole Calhoun has been able to provide eight home runs himself, but only 204 with the average. You got like that Tommy Lascelles coming on. His average is more around 250. He's got seven dingers. And then you've got Andrelton Simmons and Daniel Fletcher hitting just below 300 as well. That has been nice for the team. And obviously Mike Trout is Mike Trout. Seems like Albert Pujols is starting to come on with the bat as well, despite the fact that he's only hitting 222. But all in all, I do have a lot more faith in the Houston Astros. This is just a massive pitching mismatch, especially with the Houston Astros having the number one bullpen in the bigs. I will say that the Angels, in regards to bullpen ERA, one of the best teams in the majors as well. But I think that the Astros are going to be able to completely shut down the Angels in this spot. Currently in Wayne C mode on a Astros run line. Currently I'm seeing minus 130 on that run line. So would like to lay a little bit less juice. And I'm going to be on this total under. Currently in Wayne C mode on this under though, because I've noticed that with the games out there in Mexico between both the Reds and the Cardinals last month and recently with the Astros and the Angels, we're seeing a lot of steam on these overs. 929, 930 is how we wrap it up. The Oakland A's are in Pittsburgh to face off against the Pirates. Jordan Lyles goes for the Pirates. Meanwhile, Frankie Montas goes for the Athletics. Total in this game is 8 and we are seeing it jaded over. Overs between minus 115 and minus 120. Under even juice and minus 105. If you like the Oakland A's, you're going to lay anywhere between minus 107 and minus 110. If you want to take a shot here, on the Pirates, anywhere between even money and minus 103. Jordan Lyles had a great start to the year, but I feel like he's really starting to regress, and I do like what I'm seeing out of Frankie Montas. We talked about it in the last segment with Scott Seidenberg. He was a victim of really bad luck against the Boston Red Sox. He gave up five or six runs in his last outing, but only one of which were earned. Montas for the year 4-2, 297 ERA in 33 and a third innings. He's only given up four long balls, so he's limiting the hard contact. Only 10 walks. Meanwhile, with Jordan Lyles, he has a 2.42 ERA and a 1.15 whip, but he's really been getting shelled the last time he's gone out there with the Pittsburgh Pirates in general. And with the Pirates, they're just a very light-hitting team. As a collective heading into the weekend, 230 average and 23 home runs in their first 29 games. Josh Bell has been good in the middle of the lineup with a 283 average, 6 home runs and 22 RBI. Melky Cabrera hitting well above 300, but you're noticing some guys coming off the injured list for the Pittsburgh Pirates, and they haven't necessarily been performing. Sterling Marte hitting just above the Mendoza line. Francisco Cervelli hitting below 200. We've seen Gregory Polanco be able to get it done with the average right around 270, but he's not really hitting for a whole lot of power. Colin Moran has been hitting 250. Cody Tucker Aside from that home run that he hit against the San Francisco Giants, hasn't done much, though I will say that Brian Reynolds, the fact that he's hitting nearly 400 is a very good find, and Adam Frazier at the top of the lineup not doing a great job of being able to get on. Meanwhile, for the Oakland A's, you've got some guys that are struggling as well. Chris Davis, despite the fact that he has 10 home runs, just barely hitting above 220. Kendrys Morales, Jerickson Profar, both hitting below 200. Jeff Feigley at the catcher spot is hitting nearly 300, along with Marcus Simeon, which has been nice, but Robbie Grossman, barely above 200 himself. Matt Chapman hitting around 300. 300 has been nice, but all in all, the A's are really relying on their pitching, which has been a little bit hit or miss this year. The bullpen hasn't been quite what it once was, but I do think that Frankie Montas is going to be able to give this team a tremendous start, and I think the Pirates in general just not going to be able to hold up, and I don't think that they're going to be able to score much. So for that reason, I'm looking at a run line price here with the A's. Currently seeing plus 160 on the run line. Currently Wayne Simo to see if this actually gets to more around 165 or 170 as more books offer the run line. And on this one, I am looking 
looking at the over, and I'm going to try to see if this ticks up to 8.5. So looking at this total over and looking at the A's run line, and that will do it for a Sunday edition of MLB Overtime Betting. A big thanks to our man Scott Seidenberg with NBC Sports Radio and the Believe Podcast Network for joining me in the second segment. If you like what you're hearing from this podcast, you can subscribe on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you ever have a question for the podcast, feel free to tweet it in at GeneNRSquare D1. And let's make today a successful, fun, and profitable one. And I'll talk at you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. 